from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the official podcast of the Archdiocese. Here now your moderator, Public Affairs Director Taylor Henry. Thank you, Elizabeth LaSalle. Joining me by telephone today from Fort Rucker in Alabama is Father Captain Christopher Doring. Father Doring, thank you for talking to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you. And you have just transferred to Fort Rucker from Arlington National Cemetery. I'm sure you're undergoing something of a culture shock. Oh, indeed. Uh, going from uh, you know D.C. area metro traffic to uh, to the semi-rural environment of uh, L.A. as they call it, Lower Alabama. <laughs> and uh, you've been on site for what about a month now? I arrived in um, July 11th, so about two months. Two months. Uh, well, um, let's uh, start from the beginning, Father Doring, and uh, tell me wh- where are you from, and how did you come to discover your vocation to the priesthood and to the vocation within a vocation to serve as a military chaplain? Okay. Well, I grew up in Chicago and uh, born and raised in, in the city itself, and uh, my home parish was St. Bartholomew as a child, and you know, going to Catholic school, and and it wasn't until what was it, I think that was in eighth grade, and one of the priests there, who was a resident, actually was a faculty member and recruiter for the high school seminary that Chicago used to have, one of the two actually, um, and I was serving, and he asked me, he said, "What high schools are you looking at?" And I told him of the the uh, Catholic Boys High Schools on the north north side of the city, and he says, uh, "How about Quigley?" And I knew Quigley existed, but uh, I said, "Well, it's kind of far. It's downtown Chicago." And he says, "Well, have you ever thought about being a priest, even once?" And honestly, I just say, "Well, yes, I have." Um, and he said, "Then I think you should you should check out Quigley." So I uh, went to the open house, and as soon as I walked in, my mother, still to this day, will say, I knew you were going there because the, the look on your face, you fell in love with it the, the first day. Uh, I think it was more the Gothic structure that uh, <laughs> really I was more impressed with than, than anything. Quigley is a private Catholic school? Uh used to be. Um, it was originally uh, the... The high school seminary that Chicago had, and then I think it was in 1961, they split. There was a Quigley North and a Quigley South, so I went to Quigley North. And then in 1990, uh, the fall of 1990, that's when uh, both North and South closed, and then basically it was in the back in the in Quigley North's building, but their formation program was just a, a different. Uh, it was a consolidation of both North and South's programs. So, um, so yeah, went to Quigley, went to uh, the, the college seminary. Um, just the, you know, things started happening, started going to Mass, uh, usually first on 
you know, daily mass uh, <laughs> on test days. Dear Lord, I haven't studied, so please <laughs> help me out here. Um, I'm asking for a miracle, so I'm coming to mass. But um, but really, when I when I was at Quigley, uh, there was a number of priests on the faculty, and uh, some very great great priests, heroes of mine. Uh, one of them just died, uh, Father Bill Sheridan. He died at the tender age of ninety, and um, he was my Latin professor and. I remember in a note that he wrote to me and said, uh, I look forward to the day where you will succeed me as Latin teacher. Wow. And he said, I think you have what it takes to be a priest. So, I mean, hearing that you know, from one of your heroes, he was a, he was a manly man, but a deep, deep uh, prayerful, uh, you know, kind of given, as they say, the old school fire and brimstone sermons, but uh, very much a... a a man's man, but at the same time, very devout uh, priest. So hearing that from one of my heroes, it's just a, a great shot in the arm. So going to the college seminary from there, um, you know, a little bit more involved in the life of faith and, um, you know, hearing more from other, other priests that I admired, you know, Father Richard Simon, who was one of my uh, professors, uh, who was also a pastor in the, in the city, you know, Father Pat Rugen, um, you know, just great saintly men um, and, and ones who, who were real, you know, just real men who I saw that, wow, you know, it, it's, um, and, and these were men who were just ordinary, everyday gentlemen, you know, just a great influence upon me. And then, of course, going to Mundelein and, you know, just slowly things were uh, just opening up and and thinking, Lord, is this where you where you want me? And you know, some the, the words of encouragement along the way, until I hit my third year in, in major seminary, and it was just everything just did not seem to be going well. Uh, you know, life of faith. Uh, you know, every, I was getting all these great quote signs. You know, from words of affirmation and encouragement from, and I wasn't getting much of that. And I was feeling, you know, doubtful. And, and I'll never forget one of the visiting faculty members, uh, Father Franz Joseph Van Beek. He was a uh, Jesuit who uh, was in the Pollock chair for the seminary. And uh, we had, you know, guest uh, guest professors every year. So I had a class with him, and, uh, and he he really didn't know me, know me, just from, from that one, one class. But after, after class, he calls me up. He says, what's the matter? I, and I just, he says, well, let's let's walk and talk. So we walked and talked, and, they, and I expressed, you know, my, my sorrow, my doubt, and, and everything else. And he says, okay, good. I said, what do you mean, good? <laughs> he said, well, you have to look at this as, with all of this, do you still love the church? Do you still love the priesthood? And I said, well, I guess it doesn't feel very nice. He says, well, it's like a marriage. He says, you, you look upon your bride, and, you know, it's, it's wonderful to feel in love. He says, but this is true love. When you, <laughs> when you can love something when you're not at your best or when they're not at their best. And, it, and really a good point of meditation for me. You know, can I love something and <laughs> when I am not at my best or someone or something else when they are not at their best? And, and that was really almost a, uh, that blessing realizing that, yeah, God's blessings do come, you know, not when we feel good, um, but that, that grace that really transforms and challenges us uh, into the people that we're called to be. 
And this took so, place at uh, Mundelein Seminary in uh, Illinois. It did, yes. And uh, okay, so um, wow, that, uh, that 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 sounds like that was an insightful experience. So Certainly. you you, you continued. Uh, you uh, uh, were ordained. Uh, when did the idea of becoming a military chaplain enter your mind? Actually, military was always uh, in my life. You know, even as a as a boy, you know, it was, uh, it was always appealing to me. And even more so when I was in college, had a nice patriotic streak going. That was when the Gulf War was going on. And, you know, Lee Greenwood, proud to be American. You know, I was singing that louder than anybody whenever uh, things were going on. And, <laughs> and uh, I thought, yeah, I can, I can, I can do this. You know, to, to be a soldier. And, you know, this is even when I would kind of go back and forth. You know, it's this priesthood thing. Is this where God wants me to be, or am I supposed to be something else? You know, there's always the military, you know, back and forth on, on different things. And then, of course, obviously priesthood in terms of the the time-wise, you know, got there first. And uh, so then after serving in the parish, you know, I got a, my first assignment. I got a, got a mailing uh, from, you know, the recruiters' mailings that go out. So I figured, what the heck, I'll fill out the card, send it back. And actually, a couple of a couple of uh, uh, folks visited me at, at my first uh, first assignment, and they they were not chaplains; they were just they, they were recruiters, so they were NCOs, non commissioned officers, and um, you know just uh, and they were answering my questions and things like that. So I thought, okay, great, I got it, and uh, maybe for the once this assignment ends, then I can perhaps uh, petition. Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, but then, unfortunately, I gained a lot of weight and <laughs> certainly didn't qualify. And thought, well, okay, since I'm I'm heavy, uh, eh, forget about the army thing. Uh, I'll I'll be, you know, fat and happy in the uh, in the parish. <laughs> well, obviously, that isn't what happened. No, no, actually, I had a bit of an awakening. Oh, part of it was physical. You know, going to the doctor uh, had some. Had some issues I had to attend to, and the doctor said, "Well, okay, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but uh, this is what's in store for you if you continue on your path. You know, uh, possible diabetes, um, heart disease, and you're probably going to be on medication for the rest of your life." I was like, "Oh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I need to make some changes." <laughs> so, you know, started not doing the things I normally did, you know, cut back on the the bad food and eating at the wrong times and things like that, exercising, and um, and I started losing weight. And I thought, okay, well, uh, a friend of mine uh, was also a priest in, from the Archdiocese, uh, Father Ken Carlson. You know, I kept in contact with him. He was active duty at the time, and uh, so I wanted to, hadn't seen him in a while, so I visited him down in Fort Hood. And uh, so he said, you ever thought about this? I said, yeah, I actually have. He says, I think you should do it. He says, you're losing weight. He says, keep it up. Uh, he says, what's the worst that, that the Cardinal can say? He says, no. He says, but you still win. You're, you're losing weight. <laughs> you're getting healthy. So, okay. Um, once I got down to a decent weight, I was at that point I was pastor at uh, Our Lady Victory in Chicago, so I still had some time. Who was, Cardinal, who was Cardinal at the time? Uh, Cardinal George. 
Got it. Okay, so um, so you, uh, you you continued to lose the weight, and uh, mm-hmm. how uh, did you make contact with the military, or how did they make contact with you? Well, basically, I contact well through Ken. He uh, put me in contact with one of the priest recruiters, Father John Longbucko. Um, so he fed me some of the initial uh, paperwork, and then I think John was transferred to a different. Uh, different duty stations, so it went to Father Pete Udy, and uh, so I was working with him, and uh, just back and forth on the emails and, you know, different forms that he would send to me, and just, uh, of course, I was being very impatient. To, I was like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? He's like, oh, this is, consider it's going to be a year, you know, pretty much start to finish. So it's uh, definitely an exercise in patience, um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, through their work that, that helped uh, get accession me into the Army. So when did you enter the Army? I entered the Army in um, 2010. And you had uh, been uh, ordained which year? Uh, in 98. Okay, so by the time you got into the Army, you had 12 years' experience as a priest. Yes, sir. Um so what were some of the things you began to notice right away between the practice of the Catholic faith in the Army versus out in the civilian world? One thing that I've found, at least my first, uh, that those in the military, they are especially appreciative of the presence of a priest, and they are really Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've found because it's almost like they have to fight for survival in some in some fashion, mm-hmm. um, you know. Especially in, in some of the duty stations that are uh, where predominantly are non-Catholic areas. So one thing I've found is that those who are Catholic they are fiercely Catholic, which is which is refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I found that they, like I said, very appreciative, especially when they've been deployed and uh, not taking their faith for granted, you know, and sometimes when they come back from deployments, it's like, wow, you know, I can't believe I was without Mass. You know, I only went to Mass only a handful of times during deployment because of the unfortunate uh, situation where there aren't that many to go of uh, Catholic chaplains to go around. So when they come back, they're especially appreciative of... Uh, of the faith that they have. Well, you know, when you stop and think about it, there's a lot of overlap between a military lifestyle and the practice of Catholic faith, not to mention uh, being a priest and a chaplain. I mean, you, you have the discipline, you have a certain amount of ritual that goes on. Um, would you agree with that? Oh, indeed. Indeed. As a matter of fact, some folks who I've known who were uh, converts, you know, uh, one particular gentleman, I met at Fort Bragg, he was a master sergeant when I met him, and he said, what appealed to me of Catholicism, he says, was the ritual. He says, almost military movement style ritual, <laughs> like in the, in the Mass. He says, uh, he says, I love that. He says, when, when first coming into the Army, he said, a lot of people, yeah, it's a shock. He says, but, you know, that order, you know what's going to happen next. He says, and that's, he says, that's the beauty of being Catholic. It's a lot like the a lot like the army, and I thought, wow, I, I never really thought of it that way, and, and how that can be appealing uh, for many. So, tell us a little bit about your uh, military service. Uh, you started in 2010. Where have you served in these past eight years? 
I have served at Fort Bragg with the 82nd, uh, deployed with them. Um, I was at Bragg for a year, went to Afghanistan for a year with uh, the 82nd Airborne Division, and then after that went to the 101st, uh, deployed with them. <laughs> and uh, after we got back, my uh, cavalry squadron shut down. Uh, Big Army eliminated basically a brigade per division, so I still had time on station, so I was in a couple other battalions at Fort Campbell. And then from Fort Campbell, I went to Fort Belvoir to work on the, as the, uh, for the garrison staff. Uh, so I was one of the garrison staff chaplains. Uh, and then from there, went to Arlington National Cemetery. was there for two years. And then uh, now I'm here at Fort Rucker, Alabama with the 1st of the 13th Aviation Battalion. It's a training battalion with uh, where we, we train the... Um, the air operations specialist and the air traffic controllers. Tell us about your deployment to Afghanistan. Actually, there were two. Uh, first one was a year long uh, with the 82nd, and that was in our regional command south, which was Kandahar province. Uh, had a lot of a lot of trips. I would be out anywhere from four to twelve days at, at a pop depending upon where I would go. Usually I would fly in from Kandahar uh, via helicopter to a forward operating base, and then I would usually celebrate mass over there, or mass is, and then whatever local units would shoot me out, uh, usually via convoy, um, to their folks out at these uh, combat outposts. So I'd, I'd be on the road, and I hit a lot. I was more on the road than not. So, like I said, anywhere from four to 12 days. And usually every time coming back to Kandahar Airfield, it was always, uh, you know, I had to run to the roll-free hospital in terms of anointing, you know, just the casualties that would come in. Um, and in the second deployment, it was a little bit shorter. Um, I was more, I only had to visit uh, 11 spots since I was just a brigade asset, and they would just shoot me out and plus as things were progressing, we were shutting down various combat outposts and forward operating bases. So the footprint became less and less. So my travels weren't nearly as much. It was somewhat refreshing <laughs> in a way. Uh, I could have a place to, quote, call home in the midst of it since I was embedded with, with my unit. Well, I was with the, uh, as opposed to the first deployment, I was more, like I said, on the road constantly and really was at the service of the battle space owners as opposed to my my battalion that I, that I was uh, assigned to. Your travel between points, I'm sure, was through enemy-held, or at least territory that where the enemy was very much present. Oh, sure. And, um, you know, you uh, were the main... Main concern, especially on the road, was, was the IEDs, the improvised explosive devices, you know, roadside bombs. That was always, always, always a concern. Um, in the air, um, you know, less, less of a concern since the IEDs could, don't float. But, of course, there's always, uh, you know, small arms fire, rocket-propelled grenades, um, you know, our, our helicopters have gotten shot at and, 
you know, I was in one where two rocket-propelled grenades, um, you know, one after another, you know, after a few seconds. And suddenly the, the pilot just was doing these unbelievable maneuvers that um, obviously he knew how to do, but it, it just, from my perspective, looking back at it, I thought, wow, uh, how was he able to make that helicopter do what it was supposed to do <laughs> to avoid uh, the, those those hazards? And so, he, he basically saved our lives. So what was he doing, flying sideways or upside down? No, not upside down. Um, <laughs> it was a larger bird. It was actually a civilian helicopter. Um, and it was a larger, older, actually, um, they said it was Russian built, uh, which mm. I thought was interesting that, you know, these civilian contractors would be, uh, using old Russian equipment and it was like a mini bus in a way, not quite like our Chinook, uh, helicopter with the two blades on top, but, uh, they, those are fairly large. They could carry about 15, 16 people. So a helicopter that carries 15, 16 people, it's going to be rather substantial and generally is not a nimble aircraft. But he was making things in terms of good, like the side banks and dips and everything else. We're doing it and doing it quickly what to kind, avoid all the, the conflict. What kinds of reception would you get when you arrived at these, uh, arrived at these uh, outposts where soldiers hadn't seen a priest in who knows how long? Um. Depending upon the time of day, but obviously for those who wanted it, it was great. Uh, some spots where <laughs> you would go there and it's like, oh, geez, we just came back from mission. You know, we, we need to rest, which understood, understood. It's like, oh, great, you're here. Um, now I have to worry about you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like I said, usually it happened whatever time of day, but more often than not. So, <laughs> what, what, is, those who were there what, what, what kind of impact do you think the pre-shortage is having on the practice of faith in, in the Army? I, I think the fact that, you know, the, like with Archbishop Brolio, he said, why, why, why do we have chaplains in the Army? Because we want our soldiers to remain Catholic. You know, that, that's the point where all too easily where if I don't have what normally sustains me, I'm going to find something else inevitably, uh, whatever it may be, whether it be, uh, you know, a different different faith background and, oh, this will be good enough. And and unfortunately, where that can, you know, erode, uh, erode one's own faith, where it's like, well, if the church doesn't provide, you know, I'll find it where that needs and I'll find. And, and I know it's a tough thing. It's really a shortage all around. You know, obviously in the military, in our parishes, and especially getting to know some of the local priests here in around Fort Rucker. Yeah. You know, the Mobile Diocese is like, wow, just hearing the stories, how far apart they are geographically in the different mission churches that they have to, uh, where they have to attend to their flock out there. It's like, whoa. It's definitely um, definitely keeps them on their toes, but the impact upon the faithful, yeah, it's 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 going to be tough. Well, looking back so far, uh, was your decision to become a chaplain the right call? Oh, definitely. I don't. I I can't say I enjoyed every minute of it because I'd be lying. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I am grateful for every minute. I have learned a tremendous amount and just the honor, really, of working with such fine Americans. Um, you know, just folks who I will never, ever forget and ones who've taught me a tremendous amount. And uh, their stories of faith. I mean, one, one gentleman, he's, he's retired now, but I've met him uh, in my second unit. And, uh, you know, he just started coming to daily mass when I would offer daily mass at whenever I was on, on our camp. And he was baptized Catholic, never, never did anything. And, and I asked him, I said, so what's your story? And, you know, I'm, not too many people are going to daily mass. And he said, you know, I've tried everything. He said, I figure I'll try this. And, and I tell you, um, one, of the, one of the great Catholics that I know, just what he's developed into, his model as a disciple of Christ is just certainly admirable. What's your advice? What, what what is your advice to the young man considering a vocation to the priesthood and to chaplaincy? Uh, what what kind of counsel would you give that person? Well, I think the age old things that that always sustain us, but uh, we usually. Uh, don't think of it as much. It's so obvious where it's like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Just we're in our, in our prayer life, um, you know, in one line from the Psalms, uh, Psalm 119, you know, Lord, be a lamp unto my feet. You know, I, we, we always, and it's funny here in the Army, they say, oh, what's your five-year plan? And, and I usually laugh at that. I said, I'm lucky I have a five-hour plan. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to know what the next step is, you know. And I think in our prayer life, the advice that I would give just Lord, what is the next step? What is the next step for me? You know, in in this calling that I think I have, whether it be to the priesthood and or you know uh, serving in the military, you know, is this where you want me to be? Uh, do uh, as my mother would say, you know, one great prayer that I've always had for you is, Lord, put him where he belongs. And I said, Mom, that's very dangerous. <laughs> I said, please don't pray that. Um, <laughs> but really, where do we belong? You know, there, there are some moments where, of course, they're very uncomfortable and painful, and but yet we belong there. Um, you know, and, and even in the in our vocational journey and in, in exploring a vocation, you know, I, it may hurt, you know. Going back to that that story with Father Van Beek, that, it was a it was a very difficult, and painful time. But I belonged there at the time. I needed to be there. Uh, I needed that desert experience. And I think uh, where for uh, the young men, Lord, be just in that. Lord, be a lamp unto my feet. Father Captain Christopher Doring of the U.S. Army, now stationed at Fort Rucker. Thank you so much for talking to me by phone today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and um, continued prayers and, uh, for you and for everybody at the Archdiocese of the Military Services. I've always uh, uh, been appreciative of their support for what we do for our men and women in uniform. Thank you, sir. All right.